You are tuning in to the Milk Carton Series. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today we discuss the life and tragic death of a beloved gypsy. There's always stories that come across in each state as legendary. Well, this case is very legendary in Baltimore, Maryland. This story focuses on the life and tragic death of a beloved gypsy. Now, Sister Myra, as many would call her, she was a large part of a gypsy family that lived here in East Baltimore, Maryland. Now, this case, y'all, I remember when I moved here to Baltimore when I was like 12, I heard of this case and... I would always look at this like red brick house off Pulaski Highway next to this Dunkin' Donuts and be like, that house is creepy as I don't know what. <laughs> but I did not know so much happened at that house until, you know, how like your family and your friends or whatever, they discussed the the murder of a woman that lived there. But at that time growing up, I did not know she was a gypsy. I just was told that a woman was murdered in that house and the house was haunted. You guys know how those stories. Well, Sister Myra, she was a large, she played a large role in being in a gypsy family. And like I said, this house was located on Pulaski Highway. If you're not familiar with Baltimore, that's just the street. And this red brick house would literally sit next door to a Dunkin' Donuts. And I just remember like my dad stopping at that Dunkin' Donuts and just looking at this red brick house like it's so weird looking right but then as I got older and I started to learn more about who Mary Deborah Stevens was I became filled with sadness about her story because no one deserves to die you guys know I always say that and it was just the manner in how she died well Let's get into how, you know, Sister Myra, because that's what we're going to call her, because that's what a lot of people called her here in Baltimore. Well, she basically lived in Baltimore for about 40 years. In 30 of those years, she lived and she worked in that red brick house. Y'all, like, did not move, lived there the entire time. Well, she was a palm reader and a fortune teller. She was born in Chicago, Illinois in 1930, and she moved to Baltimore in the 1950s. Sister Myra is her nickname, but like I said, her real name is Mary Deborah Stevens, and she was the daughter-in-law to King Dick Stevens. Now, you're probably wondering, like, well, what, what does that have to do with anything? Well, this name was like royalty, so hundreds of the Stevens family members, they immigrated from Romania at the turn of the century. And a lot of those family members moved to Baltimore and they ended up becoming citizens and they operated a Cherry Hill coppersmith shop from the 1920s up until the death back in like the 1959s. And then King Dick Stevens, he was a national gypsy leader until his death, and he led approximately 10,000 gypsies from all over the nation. It was like this clan was considered the most powerful in the United States, and 
I was like, wow, as I was reading that, right? So Deborah Stevens was the was basically the matriarch of the gypsy family. She lived in Pulaski Highway House by herself until her husband's death in 1973. And many people would say that she was a loner, but the thing about it is Sister Myra was very well known. She was very well respected and very well loved in the Baltimore area. So on the evening of Tuesday, November 15th, 1994, Sister Myra had spoken on the phone with one of her sons. And in this conversation, she had mentioned to her son that she was concerned with a particular client. Now, this particular client by the name of Douglas Clark, he would be the one to kill her. And it's very sad. And I thought this was ironic that she felt in her spirit that this man, you know, would probably potentially do some some harm to her, right? So the next day on November 16th, a witness had stated that they seen a man arguing with her on the front steps of her house. Around 9.30 in the morning, sometimes these articles are a little off. Some articles state 9.30, but they also state that the son, he came like shortly after the 9.30. Well, the son gets to the house and that's when he finds his mother's body in the living room area near the front door and her head was found 10 feet away. She was 64 years old at the time of her murder. Y'all, like this man decapitated this woman. Decapitated her. Douglas Clark was arrested probably two hours after her body was found. He tried to commit suicide by throwing himself under an Amtrak train. He obtained some injuries due to jumping in front of the the train, right? But he ended up confessing to the crime, which is so sad because you're probably wondering, well, why on earth did he go to such a high level of murder, right? Well, he tells law enforcement that he had been consulting with Sister Myra because he believed Jamaicans had put a hooks on him, believing such things like he could not die. Y'all, like what? So he also believed that Sister Myra was the devil. And I'm wondering in their conversation, she probably told him like, yeah, you could die. (laughs) And he probably was not for it or whatever. You know what I mean? So the murder weapon that he used, it was a blood-stained culinary saw, which was found the day after the killing. He had put it in a trash across the street from the scene of the murder. Like, what, dude? Like, what? (laughs) Like, what? And he left his left ring finger print on the, on the storm door. And then there was glass also broken inside the home as well. Y'all, I was just like, what? So the judge orders he be held without bail. He was then sent to the Clinton T. Perkins Hospital Center for the Criminally Insane. Now, prior to the court proceedings, he basically received a psychiatric evaluation from that hospital where he would go for being criminally insane. And this is where they had found out that he was, he had schizophrenia, but the doctors did conclude that he was competent enough to understand any and all charges against him. 
So on April 24th, 1995, Douglas Thomas Clerk, who was only 28 at the time, pleaded guilty but not criminally responsible to the first degree murder and carrying a deadly weapon with intent of harming her. He was then basically given to the State Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, which would determine if and when he would be released. Now check this out, y'all. In 2001, just six years after he pleaded guilty, right, he was released to the care of his mother. There had been no further details of his release, and there's no details about his whereabouts. So Sister Myra was buried, and her funeral consisted of over a 100 of gypsies who entered the city of Baltimore to celebrate her life over a three-day period. She was laid to rest beside her husband and other family members in the Western Cemetery. Now, Sister Myra was also buried in a white sequined gown, and many funeral attendees tossed coins on her white and silver coffin. This is a tradition that is to help ease her into the grave and into heaven. Many family members and friends drank whiskey and poured it into the burial site to allow the deceased to partake in the service. There were two gypsies wearing traditional dresses that danced beside the grave while a coordination and trombone player played a variety of music. Y'all, Sister Myra funeral was a celebration, okay? Despite her losing her life in the manner that she did, she went out in a bang. Sister Myra was buried with all of her favorite items, Bibles, tarot cards. She was also buried with new dresses and makeups. It had been stated that these are things women would need in the afterlife. As her coffin was lowered into the ground, many, you know, people attending the funeral, they threw coins once again. These coins are said to be used as a payment into heaven. Now, according to Gypsy belief, when a person goes to heaven, it is a new beginning. The funeral service should be a celebration filled with food and drink because it is a reflection of what happens in heaven. Most time, funerals are huge celebrations with a lot of drinking, but due to the manner in which Deborah Stevens died, it was more suitable celebration. I mean, come on, look how she died in that manner. Now, the articles that I found were from like 2016 and they discussed the house. Well, that house is no longer standing. That house was torn down. Um, I cannot remember the year, but that house was definitely torn down. When you ride past now on Pulaski Highway near the Dunkin' Donuts, it is no longer there. It's just a lot pretty much. You know what I mean? And honestly, no one moved would no one wanted to move into that house. That house literally sat, okay? It sat, okay? And what's crazy is it was sold back in 1998 to an owner of a furniture store. The owner of, her, owner of that furniture store had been using the house as a storage unit, extra parking for his employees, and advertisement with large signs, you know, on it. But um, I don't think it was like anything else. You know what I mean? So, but if you want to check out the photos, you can definitely check it out on my YouTube because that video will be live as well. But that is the story of the Baltimore Gypsy. Her story literally is legendary in this city, in this state. Well, if you, you know, you know, but 
this story has been talked about since I was a teenager. And when I would drive past that house, when it was up, it would freak me out. But nonetheless, she lost her life in such a manner that was like horrendous. And it's sad to say that you don't even know what happened to the guy, you know? He got out six years later after killing her. But that's today's episode, guys. As always, stay safe and see you on the next one.